A lot of times we're sort of the keeper of the communication system. Our students aren't able without support to connect with a lot of people and feel understood and understand them. So we have a lot to think about in terms of how we support our students. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. This episode continues our conversation with Lynn McAllister and Deanna Peterson regarding a new behavior intervention guidance document available online at no cost from TSBBI. We start this episode by considering the role families and teachers play when our students experience distress. As a parent of a child with multiple disabilities, I try to ponder his whole day, week, and environment when he's having a tough time and recognize I play an important part in that too. Lynn picks right up by commenting on how teachers too can be empowered to play a proactive role in the lives of our students. talk about behavior and we say, you know, teacher, you you are also invested in this behavior. You're a part of it. Um, and that's threatening to a lot of people. But really, if you think about it, it's very empowering. So here's this child is just like, you can't do anything about it, you know. But if you start thinking proactively, it's like, yes, I, I can do some stuff about this. You know, I, I am empowered to do this. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, um, back to when you said what happened five minutes or this morning, this child might be remembering, you know, when when we think about all those reasons for behavior, one that we also know can trigger us is remembering a bad experience or something that was, you know, scary or sad and connecting with parents on a regular basis and families is a really important part of being detectives and figuring out what is causing this distress? You know, there may be issues at home. Maybe they have moved to a new home or maybe, you know, something going on vacation got canceled due to finances or whatever is happening at home. A student can arrive to us with a level of distress, low or or high, and we need to be ready to help them start their day and get through their day that helps them feel okay about what's happening. Right. And we talk about this thing called the emotional bank account. And so anytime you meet someone, you start a joint bank account. And so the more you put in, you're going to have to start putting in a lot into this bank account, this shared bank account, before you can even think about taking out, right? But some of the kids we get, like Deanna was saying, they are already, they're in the red. I mean, over for years of stress or whatever, trauma, you know, you're going to have to dump a whole bunch of stuff into this shared bank account before you can even ask for a little bit back. So you got to think about that with some of these kids too. It might be like you're trying and trying and trying and giving and giving, but that's what they need because they have, you know, a deficit. Yeah, and just to be clear, we're not saying that that ongoing stress is coming from home. We, as teachers, a lot of times students are, um, they have a new teacher every year, or, you know, people come in and out of their lives, and we forget that 
just that can be upsetting or scary. A lot of times we're sort of the keeper of the communication system. You know, our students aren't able without support to connect with a lot of people and feel understood and understand them. So we have a lot to think about in terms of how we support our students. I mean, a lot of these things are really, as people get more into this document, they're going to see everything that we're talking about here as the proactive strategies. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that a person, a child, has sensory deficits means they're not getting the information about the world that we're getting. That in itself is pretty stressful, you know, because that is such a sense of, like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I think back about when the pandemic started and nobody really knew what was going to happen any given day. And that was really, really stressful. And I remember talking to my husband and saying, I feel like my calendar for tomorrow, it's, I don't know what to put in it. (laughs) You know, I can't, it's not like I'm going to get up and go to work. You know, I knew the schedule. It's because you don't really even know what's going to happen. It's incredibly stressful for everybody. Well, and I think, you know, sometimes one of the reasons that staff hesitate or parents hesitate to take responsibility for a child having a hard time is because they feel like to have stress, it has to be like this major thing, but it can just be a tiny thing. Like it's not like a, a, it doesn't have to be the highest level, you know, for us in our lives, like great amounts of stress is like, you know, I, I can't pay the rent, you know, things like that. But for some of our students, like I'm thinking of something that happened yesterday morning where my son just had a total meltdown for before school and uh, like you know we send him to school that, <laughs> that way but what the reason for it was stress that was at home but the story was sort of funny I got up in the morning like we always do I got him ready and I mentioned to him that I was going for a walk and that upset him because normally I go for a walk but I don't really tell him about it and so he doesn't know I've left the house and so then he was yelling the whole time I was gone and I came back and I went, you know, my husband said, I don't know what's going on. So I went up to try to talk to him and, and he goes, walk, was it fun? <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, he's mad I went on a walk. And that really ruined most of his day. And so that we let the school know, you know, but if it, but it's just one of those things where it's not like I was mean to him or we didn't feed him breakfast, you know. And so it was just like he didn't like something I did that had nothing to do with him. Or right. did he not like that you went without him? Well, uh, I'm pretty sure he did not want to go on a walk. <laughs> but he's he likes to know where people are, are right. all the time. And right. so it distressed him to know that I wasn't where I was supposed to be in his mind. Well, and that's one of those things that as people with typical vision and or hearing, all we have to do is look around us. You know, no one has to tell us those things. And and, and that's actually in the document, Emily. Yeah. It says announce your entrances and exits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Greetings know. and greeting rituals, departing rituals are mm-hmm. They're a really important thing. And back to how we interact with each other, how would you feel about me if I just came up and launched into something I needed or wanted or what's going on with me without saying, hello, how are you? You know, I know I try to think back into my memory bank of things you like. Do you have someone has grandkids? Can I ask how they are or a dog that, you know, what?
what is it? How can I connect with them and make them feel? Just how can I greet someone? And you also wouldn't just walk out of your office, Emily, without saying goodbye because you would develop some feelings about that. But still, you could see or hear me do it, you know. And our, our students, a lot of times, people... They just disappear. They disappear, Or they don't get that opening where someone says, hey, how are you? What's going on? You know, how do we do that for our students? We can't assume they don't need it just like we do. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, we've all seen I've done it myself. I've walked away from students and then realized it later, you know, and when I was working as an itinerant TVI and you're in and out of classrooms all the time and you're always in a hurry, I can remember getting in the car and being like, oh, I never said bye (laughs) and I won't see her for a month, you know, and so that's the reality of some of our teachers that are out there on the road too is, you know, these interactions are so short. So talking about the emotional bank account, like I was withdrawing in those situations when I I could have taken an opportunity to, you know, say goodbye, have a routine. Well, you know, we also need to be kind to ourselves and families need to be kind to themselves, you know, because how we interact with people who have typical vision and hearing, we learn that incidentally, you know, just by observing others and the way that we provide information and access for our students looks differently And we have to think differently about how to do it. So I think everyone needs to be kind to themselves and, you know, and think about what our intentions are. And our intentions have, have always been good. But a lot of programs, whether it be for TVIs or teachers of the deaf, I know because I, I have training in both that neither program prepared me to work with students who are deaf blind. That, that is, you know, I've learned through the years from all of the smart, amazing, emotional thinkers around me. Which now includes you. You're one of those smart, amazing, <laughs> yes, emotional I thinkers. So. I, <laughs> I hope, hope to be. I hope I am. Oh, well, we've covered so many great things, but did you guys have any specific anecdotes you wanted to share or stories or anything else you want to add? I have a story. I don't know if you want to use it. It's I'm, I'm a, the, the, the devil in the story. <laughs> I'm ready. So, I'm ready for in it. In my early, er, very early years of teaching, um, I had a student named Marina. And Marina was probably, she was pre-symbolic even. She wasn't even at the simple level. She flapped her hands all the time. And so she didn't really, couldn't really interact with objects very much because it was a, it would be a, a flap, flap over the shoulder throw. She was very much into her own body. And so I had her, uh, I think the first or second year uh, I was teaching, and there was one thing that Marina could do, and I don't know who taught it to her, but she could put her socks on, right? And so that's, I wanted her to participate in her dressing routine by putting her socks on, because she could do it. And so Marina also really liked to eat, and so... After the routine was after we she would get dressed, we would go make breakfast. So she couldn't have breakfast until she put her socks on, right? Because I was like, you're going to put your socks on. And so one day I walked in the dorm in the morning and I was like, hey, everybody. And Marina starts crying. I mean, I could hear it in her room because my presence had turned into demand for her. I was going to make her do this thing that sometimes she could do and sometimes she could really couldn't do emotionally. And so that was a big eye opener for me. So, you know, the socks ceased to be Marina was going to be someone that would need assistance her entire life. Whether she could put her socks on independently was moot, really, you know, and so took away that that roadblock. But that was a big lesson for me. 
I like that you said that sometimes she couldn't do it emotionally. Boy, we forget that. Like, there are things I can't do emotionally sometimes. Yeah. Like, when I have a really hard day at work, sometimes I just lay in bed and watch Netflix for three hours. And if somebody were to ask me to cook dinner for the whole family, I have behavior. Emotionally, I couldn't do it. I know how to do it. But, oh, I just, that's such an interesting way to think about it and so true for all of us. For all of us, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you need a mental health day from work. You know, not because of anything specific. It's just your brain that day can't, you can't face it. How about you? Yes, I have a story. This story was told by Matt Schultz in an an article, two articles that he wrote for Texas Sensibility. And um, the story's about Kirsten, who I was part of the team here at TSBVI, part of her team. And she used a walker. She would see other students in walkers from a distance, and she would just make a beeline for them and ram her walker into them and sometimes lash out even more physically towards them or towards herself. And the entire team, the the people who supported her residentially, her speech pathologist, her O&M instructor, her teaching assistant, her family, the whole team, and there's a lot more team members than that, but we would get together regularly, as we did every week for all of our students, which is a great strategy. But we got together, and over time, we thought about what is it? Is it her mood? Is it the weather? Is it her medicine? Is it her pain level? Is she sick? All of these different things to consider, which another plug for the document, because helps you consider all these things. And over time, we came to the conclusion that she saw other kids using walkers, and she thought it was cool because she had a walker too. And she wanted to talk to them about their walker and her walker, and she had no skills to do that. She was an emerging sign language user. She has no hearing at all, and she couldn't say those things to people. She wanted friends, and, you know, families and and school staff want friends for our students and our children, but lots of times we're unsure, and we assume just because they're in a class together, oh, they're friends. But after we figured that out, really thoughtful routines started to happen. We She had enough vision to use a script. We put three sign pictures on a little carpet strip and when she traveled around campus she had that strip and she could say hello or I like your walker in sign language something brief that helped her and that other student feel connected and there's one one video example of this that we use a lot in training these two girls would get together regularly with the support of their teachers. One of them was the teacher and one of them was the behavior specialist supporting the student who was not deafblind, who was visually impaired and has autism. And they provided so much support to their individual students and it helped them feel connected, feel successful. One video that we use is of the girls eating a cupcake together and I think it was one of their birthdays and you know so So Kirsten, she gave Becca a a present, you know, and that's another thing that that we often don't understand. The feeling of giving back, the feeling of doing something for someone else hugely impacts, you know, our mood and our just our, our happiness. And so these teachers 
provided so much support, so much modeling, so much affect. They sat close. They they did a lot of things, a lot of proactive, thoughtful strategies to help these two girls feel connected. And the more we did that, the more we saw Kirsten decrease those moments of distress where she would ram her walker into Becca or other students. We stopped having to avoid those situations, you know. Matt does a really nice job in these two articles of describing the transformation that we all saw in in Kirsten and her family. Her family saw that too. What a what a missed opportunity if you hadn't realized why she was doing that. You know, it it's it's almost ironic cuz mo- a lot of our students have social skills in their IEPs and that's an opportunity to build on that IEP goal that if she had one for example cuz instead you're just thinking that she's having this behavior and we've got to address the behavior da, 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 and really it's a teaching opportunity that is exactly what she needs. Yeah, that's what I was saying, the proactive thinking proactive is like an opening of now you can be effective. Now you can teach something. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. After hearing from professionals about our latest behavior intervention tool, I thought it would be helpful to talk to a family member of a child that would benefit from such a resource. So for our experts section, I am inviting my husband, James Coleman, to visit with us. All right, so our son has always found it difficult to communicate easily with those around him. James, can you share some of the ways that Eddie expresses his needs or wants? It's it's a tough read every day with... Eddie so it's hard to diagnose but you just gotta learn all kinds of his mo- his movements and his thought process and you gotta it's not a one day step in and you know what what he's asking you gotta learn it and know what know what to expect he communicates pretty good though for as long as you, you're around him and he he'll ask you for food snacks if he has an owie or a, you know like a sliver or cut yeah. he'll tell you where it's at he does for like anything that he needs help with he just yells from the other room help please okay he does help he does say that a lot <laughs> matter of fact day. sometimes okay. i can get you uh bright right in the morning sometimes it'll be seven in the morning he'll start that or it'll be five thirty. yeah or 4 a.m yeah i don't hear that one very much <laughs> the 4 a.m one no. that's because you're a better sleeper than i am now, you talked about how it has taken a really, like, you have to spend a lot of time with him to sort of read him very well. But what are the ways that you can tell when he's, like, in distress or he's having a hard time with something? How, what are some of the behaviors that we see? Oh, he likes to go over his schedule over and over again. Like, he gets real anxious with uh, what his futures looks like, like, every day, every week. How soon until the next event that's coming up can really stir things up yeah if it's something he's unfamiliar with or or if it was canceled one day and not the next yeah we used to see a lot of like yelling and tantrums but the more language that he's been able to access that's gotten a little bit better but now it's like constant questions and anxiety right about like what's gonna happen tomorrow what's gonna happen after school it gets to a point where 
you just got even on a handwritten calendar or a, the sticker braille calendar we have it's hard for him to understand what's coming up next mm-hmm. what's around the what's gonna happen on Monday or two weeks from now is normal we we try not to tell him what's going on if it's gonna if we know the anxiety levels coming yeah we don't give him a week like we could just four give weeks him notice one hour those. notice like <laughs> all right the dentist woman's coming in today. <laughs> Otherwise, sometimes if you talk about the dentist a week beforehand, it could stir some crazy emotions all week. Like, dentist on Friday, dentist on Friday. I mean, we and, always... and it could get really bad. Like, no dentist, no dentist. Well, we like to give him a heads up, but not always a very lengthy. My favorite is one time when you uh, picked him up from school and he had to go get blood work. And we had known he was going to get blood work. And after school, you just told him, hey, the doctor just called. And <laughs> oh, yeah, unfortunately, good... <laughs> we have to go get some blood work today. I do like that, ex- that good one. Oh, yeah. the doctor called today. We got to go in. Yeah, and and he gets a little anxious, but it he doesn't fixate on it for days, which is better I for him. That. That's a that's a good go to. Yeah. So um, after living with Eddie for almost seventeen years now, we've both learned how to interact and communicate with him to avoid causing distress. Like one example that we just shared. But what are some ways that you've changed your own behavior or your approach to improve your relationship with Eddie? Oh, it's uh, changed a lot. Parenting the child like Eddie just because it's not like how I was how I grew up there's not so much freedom you can give him to run around the house and so you just gotta stay calm and just uh relaxed and you know learn his routine stay very flexible because uh, things change you can't always be on time and I like to be on time but like if you know he's not gonna sometimes it's just best just to stand back and see what he needs Give him the space because sometimes uh, he'll want something. You don't know what what he wants. And he's not verbally telling you or it could be anything. So sometimes Eddie can be pretty clean and hang on. And sometimes he'll want his space like all day. It's kind of learning the room every time you walk in to see him and see where he's at. That's a, you and I both like to be on time. We have that same characteristic. And so it took a lot to learn that we could just give Eddie more time when he needs it. And he might be late to school some days or we might not, you know, get out the door when we want to. But he also like he, I I think I've, I've shared before that he can hear in your voice when you're getting frustrated. And so he might ask for help and then we'll say, okay, you know, like I'll say it because I'm getting, you know, irritated. I'm doing something else. Oh, yeah. And and the next thing he'll say is no yelling. <laughs> it's no like yelling, yeah. he can just hear the slightest bit of, uh, so we're always, you know, checking ourselves. Like he knows your emotions just by listening to you. So yeah. okay. I need you to be up more uplifting. So Louder, Dad, louder. Yeah. Yeah, when I go in in the morning and I'm like, good morning, Eddie, in a normal voice, he's like, no, louder, because he wants everybody up. Everybody's got to, like, even this morning, he's like, you got louder, louder. Yeah. Like, you sound like you're in bed, Dad, saying good morning from the other room, so you need to get up and get in in here. (laughs) Oh, all right. So if you had any advice for professionals working with students like Eddie, what would it be? Eddie does get frustrated with the like a standard schedule he's on, or he can be on, I would say mixed up. I would say he learns fast, so I would just keep changing things up. Like just a standard week for Eddie has been the same for a while, and like sometimes he'll be before school, he'll get anxious about what he knows is coming on that 
Tuesday or Wednesday, and so he gets a little frustrated on some days, but it's never the same day. I'm sure everyone knows to stay patient with these kids and, and slow down. It takes time. No, and these kids, they, uh, I'm sure they know, but Eddie, he's, he's a quick little wit. He knows everything. So, he's a, so he picks up on a lot that we don't pick up on. Mm-hmm. So stay on your toes. Yeah, read his you know, cues. Read his cues, read the room. Well, anything else? Good luck out there. <laughs> Good luck, Godspeed. I, I appreciate all <laughs> teachers of the visually impaired and the entire staff. In the first episode of this conversation, we talked about the quote from Dr. Wayne Dyer, which was, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. I think and hope this conversation will help us all look at behavior intervention differently from now on. Please check out our podcast description for links to resources. From TSBVI Outreach and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.